did think that it might be a nice opportunity to light him fire on fire after the service and see the burning bush that we read about in Exodus. It would be a very good learning lesson for all of us this morning. Um, and it would be entertaining for me. We're going to open to Mark chapter 5 this morning and I'm going to read our text for this morning and then we're going to dive right in and uh, look at a couple of things that the Lord has been reminding me lately. And uh, really we're going to look at a couple of things, namely uh, the miracle that Jesus does when he casts out uh, the legion of demons within a man. But more so, as Lauren mentioned at the beginning, I wanted to spend a little bit of time reflecting on the people's response to the miracle and really how God has been reminding me as of late how often I can stop before I've even started. And this can happen time and again. And this morning, we want to see not only what God can do, but often my response to what God does. It says this, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard uh, Version. Hopefully it's close enough to your translation that you'll be able to follow along for those who are. And uh, at the end, perhaps I'll pray and then we'll dive right in. Mark 5, verse 1 says this, They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and chains had been torn apart by him, and shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs, and in mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up, bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have with each other, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? He said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. Coming out of the, un the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away, reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. He said to him, Go home to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I'm going to stop there. And as we do, let's just take a moment once again to pray 
And as we uh, give our time to the Lord as we already have, we'll uh, look forward to hearing from Him. Lord, thank You again that we can read Your Word. And again, I thank You that as has been said and will be said again, this is the only book we'll ever read where the author is present every time you read it. Thank You that today as we open Your Word, we know that You are here. You do not need to be prayed into the room nor sung into this place, but a faithful God who never leaves or forsakes, a God who longs to be known, a God who does not play hide and seek, but declares His glory in the heavens, in Your Word, in one another. I just pray this morning again that as we open Your Word, we will be both encouraged and challenged in our walk to not only know You and know Your name, but know how it is we are to walk before you, to abide in you, and to see you at work within us. Thank you today for all of this and uh, this opportunity to come to this peaceful place, set aside the many distractions and the busyness that goes on all around us, and allow you to speak to our hearts. And I pray once again this morning that only you would speak to our hearts and that anything not of you would go in one ear and out the other but that we might cling to those things of you that are from you and that will plant the seeds of righteousness deep within our hearts that they may grow. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we open our passage this morning to Mark 5, it may be familiar to many of you. Um, I read in one place a summary of this passage called The Misery of the Man versus the Majesty of Christ. And I like that. Uh, because it really points and puts us in a place where we see the majesty of Christ, that which could not be bound, bound by Christ, that which could not be cast out, cast. And as we come this morning, we'll spend a, a brief moment looking at the miracle itself so we understand what Jesus was doing, but then... As I mentioned, we want to take a moment to dig a little deeper and look at the people's response to that miracle. Again, as we've said throughout the Gospel, Jesus never did anything by accident. Everything He did had a purpose. When He made water into wine at the wedding, it spoke not just of giving people something to drink, but He was going to say something through those ceremonial washing pots, something they looked to for blessing and righteousness, a ceremony. And He was going to fill them with substance, the work of God. When He went on, even not in what He did, but where He went, what He said, and even when He waited. Remember, before Lazarus, when Lazarus had died and his friends were weeping and even Jesus Himself wept, He said to His loved ones, I am glad for you that I wasn't here. Why? So that they might know that Jesus was the resurrection Lord. In what He did, in where He went, in what He said, even when He waited, He always did it for a reason. And this morning, God's time, not our time, but always the right time, note how often it tells us that there was a man with a demon, and not just one demon, a demon who said, we are legion for we are many, referencing uh, a multitude in an army, often a a platoon of up to 2,000. And in that, Jesus was going to cast this demon, a man which whom it tells us again and again, they had tried to shackle, they had tried to bind, they had tried to chain, 
and yet no one could. And I find often, though we find, just in Lazarus' case, it may well seem that God doesn't seem to see where we are at, to know our peril. At the right time and the right place, God comes and meets us. And here, and I often find, God allows me to struggle. He allows me to see my inability so that in that, we can truly see the greatness of God's ability. We read that when Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians. If you remember, he tells the Corinthian church as he writes to them, listen, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Chapter 1, he says, why? So that we might not trust in ourselves, but in God who even raises the dead. What does that tell you? That God was allowing Paul, shipwrecked, hurt, burdened, to come to the very end of himself, not for any reason other than what? That he might see the full reason that God was enough. That God can even raise the dead. Again, at the, as we read on in his letters to the Corinthians, Paul again would say, listen, I had a thorn in the flesh, something I prayed that God would take away, and yet he did not. And God says, Paul, listen, I have left you a thorn in the flesh. For what reason? That you might not exalt yourself, but that you might learn that my grace is sufficient for you and that my power is what? Perfected in weakness. That's why Paul would write in those same letters to the Corinthians, we have this heavenly treasure in what? Jars of clay, earthen vessels, so that the surpassing power of God might be seen in us. God was well pleased to put His power in plain places, earthen vessels, imperfect, so that His perfection might be seen. And now we see the unbindable, the unobtainable, about to be obtained by Jesus. And one author, Arthur Thompson, put it this way in summarizing this legion. He says this, Truly the name of sin is legion. It is anger, malice, intemperance, murder, impurity, unfaithfulness, dishonesty, equivocation, dissimulation, falsehood, hypocrisy, ingratitude, disobedience, impatience, uh, discontentment, envy, covetousness. It is profanity, formality, superstition, idolatry, blasphemy, and atheism. It is repudiation of authority, a defiance of the power, a slight to the wisdom, a contempt of the holiness, and unthankfulness for the goodness of God. It is the cause of all error, conflict, cruelty, suffering, weeping, and woe that exist in this world. Like a foul demon, it is poisoned and polluted, blighted and cursed, everything it has touched. It has caused man, the noblest work of God, to become the destroyer of his own soul, the murderer of his brother, the enemy of his God. That's legion. The source of conflict, malice, intemperance, murder, impurity, unfaithfulness. And I find often there are places and times where God allows 
us to see what is unbindable by man. That truly we can come to that point and place where we find the only one who can bind it. Only God wasn't going to just bind it. He was preparing to free him completely. And this morning, I, I want to share with you a reminder, something I've shared with you before, but it, 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 it comes to light once more as a great example. Again, I have a friend who's more honest than most. He's obviously missing a few things, a filter that he should have, uh, that I uh, maybe at times should have. But listen, love talking to him because of his honesty. And I think I've shared with you before, but because it's poignant to what we're talking about this morning, I want to share it again. One day I called him and, and he's the kind of guy I talk to every four or five years. I called him. How are you doing? His answer? Great. I said, why? He was usually a kind of depressed fellow because I figured it out. Figured what out? Sin. I've got it. I'm ready. It's over. I said, well, tell me. I want to know more. He said, I was reading a book, Christian Psychology. I now know what I must do. I'm putting a big rubber band on my wrist. And every time I've been struggling with my thought life, every time I think a bad thought, I'm going to take that rubber band, I'm going to pull it back, and I'm going to snap myself as hard as I can. And this book has assured me that I am going to be able to program my mind that bad thought equals pain. Don't think bad thought. I thought this was amazing. And I love it when other people do strange experiments. So I allowed him to continue. I said, I can't wait to hear. Well, I, it wasn't again. Two years till I talked to him again. And when I called him again, I hear from him, how are you doing? doing okay. He was a little back to normal. I said, why? What's, what's happened? What happened to, it's all good. I've got it. And he said, got what? And he had already forgotten. And, and uh, that should tell you how uh, it went. I said, the experiment, man, you were programming yourself to perfection. What happened? He said, it was awful. I said, why? He said, well, I got a job at the local community pool that summer. And there's one good thing about a job at the pool. Girls leave elastics everywhere. There was no end of the elastics I had to snap myself with. I said, well, that's good. How did the rest go? Terrible. Do you know why? Because every time I had a bad thought, I would think rubber band, snap yourself. Don't think bad thought. And what ended up happening was now, instead of programming Bad thought equals pain. Don't think bad thought. Every time I turn around and see a rubber band, I think bad thought. And I start thinking about the very thing. And now everywhere I see rubber bands, they make me think about what I'm not supposed to think about. He goes, now I can't even look at a rubber band without make it, making me sin. I said, this is a big problem. <laughs> you see, this is what happens when we try to contain the uncontainable. When we try to captive and hold captive that which cannot be held by our own human means. Our own psychology, our own self-will, our own pull up our bootstraps and it will all be better. We need only think better, work harder, do more, be more, pray more, devotion more, attend church more, and you know what? You can do it all and be no better off. And there's these moments 
when God shows us in His Word that the unbindable can only be bound in one place and one way. And that's Jesus. It says you go back through Scripture and I find those points and places where you see so many good things, perhaps hidden in ways like numbers. I love when you go back and see some of them. One is 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights, uh, it rained and all that was left was Noah and his family on a boat. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath taunted the armies of Israel. And then David rose through the ranks. And you know, I, you, you begin to get that picture every time you read those words. It's as though 40 days and 40 nights, all wickedness was on the earth. And at the end, 40 days and 40 nights, it rained Only those God saw as faithful overcame, safe in His provision and safety. Forty days and forty nights, Goliath taunted the armies of Israel. You have no God. Your God is not good enough. And at the end of forty days and forty nights, David stood up. God's chosen. One after God's own heart. And God said, He will have the victory. And remember how David fought? Not in his own strength. He said, listen, I know God has saved me from the lion and the bear. And I know He will save me from this man also. It's not my fight. It's God's fight. When all flesh had failed and the whole army had stood silent and still, God's chosen would overcome. Forty days and forty nights, Satan would tempt Jesus. And when all would fall and fail, only one, 40 days and 40 nights, what? Would overcome. You see, all through, Jesus is the one that cannot, that, that can bind which we cannot. That can find victory over where we find failure. And as we just read, all those many things that entangle us and encompass us, says this in Romans 8, verse 37. I, I won't turn there for time's sake, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, There's a place where we need to come and often first see our inability to bind what only God can bind. Think of a book by Watchman Nee, but also an experience in which I've been a lifeguard and there's times in which as a lifeguard, before you learn how to do it appropriately and properly to rescue someone from the water, you learn to allow someone to finish the fight before you can rescue them. Because if someone is panicking, they'll only take you down with them. And there are times in which we can see we've struggled, we've fought, we've tried to bind the unbindable, tried to perfect, tried to put forward, tried to be righteous on God's behalf, and all the while God's saying, are you ready for me to do it now? And at the right time, at the right place, He comes. But I want you to note something this morning. As we've read about God's healing of a man, 
and we're going to talk further. God never does anything. Jesus didn't do anything by accident without purpose. An odd thing, demons here request in our story this morning, don't send us out, send us into the swine. Why would Jesus obey the the request of a demon? Seems odd, doesn't it? And yet, when you look a little deeper, interestingly enough, Pigs, of course, were seen as unclean food. And not only were they considered unclean food, by their law of cleanliness and uncleanliness, there were many things that would make an animal clean or unclean. A clean animal would have a cleft hoof, but it would also chew its cud. Think about a cow. They would chew its cud, cleft hoof, clean animal. A pig was considered unclean. It has a cleft hoof, but in their law and society, a a hog would take on even greater meaning than just an unclean animal. They actually took on the whole idea and ideal of deception. Do you know why? Because a pig has a cleft hoof, and as they're laying there on their side, and you look at them, you'd think, clean. And yet if you watched and waited, you'd notice something. No chewing of the cud. They had the outward appearance of what? Cleanliness. But in actual fact, inwardly, they weren't clean. And so, in Jewish law, they were instructed not only not to eat unclean food, but along with that, pork itself, they were not to have anything to do with this unclean food, nor were they allowed to profit by the raising or selling of this food. And here, Jesus comes not only to to cast out the demon of a man who needed cleansing, Jesus was preparing to cleanse a community. And now where I want to get to the response to the people who saw what Jesus did. Because here is a group of people in a place, in a society, where they shouldn't be raising hogs. (laughs) And I don't know if you've been in that place, who's seen someone else, who've looked at someone else's circumstances, lives, habits, the things they do, and you think, wow, they need God. (laughs) Wow, they need cleansing. Wow, they need healing. And all the while, you've got a herd of swine sitting in the backyard, oinking away, (laughs) and you've chosen to ignore it. God didn't come into that place to just heal one man's demons. When Jesus enters, He came not to heal one man, but to cleanse a community. And He chose to allow that request. Why? Because as He chose to cleanse and cast out, and Jesus doesn't bind, He completely frees this man. In the process, He's going to cleanse a community of something that should not have been there. And now, the people who I'm sure this nuisance of a man, yelling, shouting, possessed, gashing himself with stones, bound many times, but breaking free, and they all would have said, Amen! He's healed! 
and it's great to see it in someone else's life, but the moment God turns to you and begins to deal with your life, another story. The people saw what Jesus did, and do you remember the words? They came, they observed the man, Mark 5 verse 15, clothed in his right mind, and the very man who had been possessed sitting down, and they became frightened. Their response wasn't gratitude. Their response wasn't worship. They saw what He had done, and their immediate response was what? Fear. And their next response, as people came and they began to describe to them what had happened, the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, they came and began to implore Him to leave their region. You see, the first response to seeing God's work that is a warning to us and a moment in which you can stop before you've even started is when you can see God's work. And let's be honest, anytime you see God's revelation, it demands a response. Either you accept it or you reject it. Either you honor it or you run from it. And here, the people see it, they greet it with fear, and their next response to is implore Him to leave. And I have to wonder today, how many times I look at people, I see God's activity, I see a longing for God's activity, I see people who I think need God's activity, and yet... I have a herd of swine in my own backyard and I don't want God to touch it. (laughs) Because if He does, let's face it, that could affect my livelihood. That could affect my security. That could affect my comfort. That could affect my life in ways I'm not prepared for it to, to affect. And I say these words, Please move on to the next village. You know what? I, God, I've seen you can heal. But you know what? Move on. I'm not ready for your healing. God, I've seen testimony that you can save. I've seen you transform lives, God. But you know what, God? I'm not ready to be transformed. I'm enjoying the season I'm in. I'm enjoying the rut. (laughs) Let's face it, sin is fun. I like where I'm at. (laughs) Next village, please. And it's a dangerous place to be. Hebrews 6 gives a a pretty stark warning in which it says this in verse 4, For the case of those who've once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of this age to come. He goes on and says, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. The writer of the Hebrews compares them to springs of water that drink the rain but produce no growth. And I wonder time, how many times I see God's work, 
I know God's presence in the depth of my heart. I've seen His revelation. And yet my response is, next village, please, God. (laughs) You can affect this area of my life, Lord, but not this one. Please go on. I'm too afraid. I'm too afraid that if I allow you in there, I could lose my livelihood, the swine. (laughs) I could lose my way of life. I could lose my platform. I could lose my position. I could lose respect. I could lose my status. At what cost am I willing to say, God, move on? Because we can see God's work, we can hear His name, we can even know His voice. But if we're not prepared to welcome His activity in and begin to bind the unbindable and change humanly the unchangeable, we'll never see where we could go. We'll never see the fullness of what He could do. Today, what's our response to God's glorious revelation? Where are we going? Because that leads me to the second place I see where we can stop before we've already begun. Jesus came not just to cleanse one man of his demons, but to cleanse a whole community. And they passed him on. The second response we see is that of the man healed, in which he comes to the Lord incredibly grateful. And yet I want you to note something. He got into the boat and the man who had been demon-possessed, Mark 5, verse 18, implored him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great thing the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And you know what I've noticed? His immediate response is, Jesus, I've been affected by you and now I want to be with you. I want to follow you and I want to go where you go. And Jesus' response here is interesting. No. No. But here's why. No, because I want you to go. I want you to go and tell others about the great thing that God has done and how He's had mercy on you. And as I was reading this this week, I was reminded of how many times I meet the Lord, I see the Lord, I experience the Lord, and I say this, Lord, I'm prepared to sit right here and just revel in it. It's like when Peter in Gospels in Luke chapter 9 saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and it tells us that that Elijah and Moses were there. And what was Peter's response? Wait here and I'll build a tabernacle for each of you. They weren't intended to build places of worship, stay on a mountain, worship on the mountain. He was witnessing something amazing, a revelation that God was giving him that was going to affect who he was, where he would go, and what he would do from that day forward. But he was never intended to stop and stay there. 
And I wonder how often I long for, I search for an experience with Christ. And once I get it, here's where I go. Nowhere (laughs) but here. I find a church congregation where I feel comfortable. That doesn't push my boundaries. I find a place, a friend circle, a, a social environment where I'm not tested, where I'm not pushed, where my faith isn't challenged, where people think the way I think. Reading that way this week, a big problem in our world is now all of these computer algorithms that feed us our news. And the moment you look at Google and you click on this article and click on that article and skip that article and go to the next article, do you know what it does? The algorithms learn... exactly what you read, what you like, what perspectives enjoys, and the next time you jump on, it starts to feed you the things you want because it wants you to click and it wants to keep you there as long as possible. And in our divisive world, are you pro-Trump? It's going to give you all the pro-Trump you want. And if you're anti-Trump, it's going to feed you all the anti-Trump. Do you know what I'm saying? And I can create a bubble in which... I read the news I want, I hear the perspective I want, I I hear the political leaning I want, and anything else I can reject because I already know. I'm being challenged lately that the more I read the news, the more I have to go to uncomfortable places and points of view that think differently to me to find the truth. (laughs) Because everybody's spinning these days, aren't they? Everybody's spinning. And as we get in our Christian walk, we can meet Jesus, we can see Him, we can know Him. And we can also tend to then try to make ourselves a bubble around Him or before Him. Comfort. And it can become our worship. A friend who has a church that grew from a church this size uh, into a church of 500, 1,000, then 1,500. They went from a church like this in a country community to buying a school in a city center in Ontario. And when the city had nowhere to put the homeless, they said, we got a whole school. Put it here. And they made a homeless shelter in the church. You had to walk past attics to get into church on a Sunday morning. It was amazing. And yet some people left. Because they couldn't take the discomfort of having people who they didn't know how to deal with their life choices, difficulties, addictions, and so they needed to go somewhere else. But it was a choice they made. We're not going to judge these people. We're going to help these people. Do you know what else happened? They kept growing. And I love my friend who's at the part of it because when people would want to come with news cameras and say, we want to report on the church that's the homeless shelter, they'd say, no, thank you. We're not doing this for the media. But you know what else happened? They outgrew their facility to the point where they said, we need to, we need to make church plants here. So they came before the congregation And there were dynamic speakers and dynamic people running dynamic ministries, a homeless shelter, a youth ministry, to name many more. And they came with this announcement. It's time 
that we divide and we're going to set up two more locations in the city, one at this end of the city, one at this end of the city, and we're going to remain central. Here's what we need from you. We need half of you to commit to leaving. And you can imagine the emotion. We finally found a church we agree with, a dynamic church with godly speakers who are doing godly things. And now we're being told to go. And he said, listen, you need to go with the purpose, not of missing what you're leaving, but recreating what you experienced here. We're going to prayerfully elect elders and pastors to go with you to each location. But we need, this isn't going to work if some of you won't go. How many of you would be prepared to leave home, a spiritual home, a spiritual place, a comfort that you had come to know? You see, we can also stop before we've even started when we refuse to allow ourselves to be put in those difficult places. They weren't wrong ambitions for the healed man to want to be with Jesus. There would be nothing better. And yet that man would never know the fullness of what Jesus was going to do through him if he wasn't prepared to follow Jesus where it seemed in the moment that Jesus wasn't to go and share with people he did not know. You love the end of the story and the response in which we're told, as I throw my papers all over the place, listen, he went away, began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done, and everyone was amazed. Have you found that comfortable place where you've stopped letting in the uncomfortable friends with differing points of view, with differing political backgrounds, with differing ways of life, with differing habits, with differing addictions, with differing... At what point have you come to that comfortable place where you're following Jesus, but haven't allowed Jesus to send you out after He's called you close? It may be a sign that you've stopped before you've even started to see the, not the greatness of what God can do, because you've seen it, been witness to it, and perhaps experienced it. But you've stopped before you'd have allowed the fullness of it to carry forward. Or are you like those who perhaps today see yourself as having made it? You know the right theology, you read the right translation, you say the right prayers, you go to the right places. You've been to the right classes and listened to the right preachers and have been to the right seminary. And yet there's some swine hanging around in the backyard and while you're longing for change and transformation in others, there's a few places where you've said, God, I'm not ready for you to transform me there yet. I hope we'd be defined as a community who doesn't stop before we start. <laughs> His mercies are new every morning and today is a new beginning if we follow Him. But we must count the cost of the swine we've become comfortable with, <laughs> ways of life, comfortable circles, and easy places to sit.
and allow God to send us out, to transform us, to make us, to mold us. Let's not be those who know His name, but don't abide in His activity. Today, He's calling us. And He's a God who can bind the unbindable. He can contain the uncontainable. He can free you from the sins that you have not found a way to be freed from if you come to Him. But He's also the God who once He gets a hold of you is going to be prepared to send you out to places you did not want to go. You never thought you'd go. And what He has for you there is far greater than you could ever ask or imagine if you're willing to say, take me, Lord. What a great reminder that today we're challenged. We can know the Lord and yet stop before we even start. And today God's calling each one of us, however He puts His finger upon our hearts, to say, yes, Lord. And I'm always grateful for a community because we're gifted in so many ways. And I know even today that if there are those who have those things and are longing for prayer, we have people in the community gifted at praying and finding ways beyond those barriers that you're longing for God to break. Don't wait. Seek them out. Today is the day just as those who've maybe seen God's revelation, and it always demands a response, and yet we've been subtly waiting. (laughs) There's no better time than today to say, yes, Lord, I want your way. Freedom. And I'm prepared at the cost of the swine, at the cost of what other people think, at the cost of what is God asking me to do today that I've been running from. And for some, it's repentance. For some, it's truth-telling. For some, it's giving up something that we refuse. For some, it's finally saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. Today, we can follow Him. And what awaits on the other side is far more than we'll ever ask or imagine if we'd allow Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You again that we have an opportunity to open Your Word. And I thank you that today that you seek each and every one of us, that none are too far from your grasp. Thank you that there is nothing, as we read this morning in Romans, that is too far, too high, too strong to separate us from the love of God. I just pray for those that as you're pressing your finger upon their heart today, that those things that you highlight, that we would allow you to take them, to cleanse this community, to conquer our demons, to take away the sin that so easily entangles us. And I pray that as we are never alone, you are with us, that we would seek you moment by moment, knowing every movement. Give us the boldness to be those who would go out to not just learn about you, but live about you in everything we say and do to allow you to take us to those places that often seemingly we don't want to go and yet go we will because we know you are faithful. Thank you that you even bring us to the end of ourselves and that we see we can't so that we can praise in a God who can and see the truth of who you are and what you do. 
And I pray today that we would be about your purpose as the day goes on in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.